Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. This is episode 15 of the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host. Today, we have a great guest. His name is Jason Gross, and he is going to talk about the community support group called Life Ring. Jason's going to share a little bit of his own personal story of addiction and his journey of getting better and getting the help that worked for him. And then he's going to talk a little bit about LifeRing's core philosophy and how their meetings are run and how you can get more support if you're looking for it. If maybe some of the other support groups out there aren't quite the right fit, maybe LifeRing can be that fit for you. So if you're interested in that, please listen. And I really hope you enjoy it. Let's start the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. I've got a wonderful guest today. His name is Jason Gross, and he is going to talk about Life Ring, which is a community support group for people who are struggling with addiction. Hey, Jason, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi. Thanks, Dwayne. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, my name is Jason Gross. I said I uh, I have been sober for the last three and a half years. I had uh, you know about ten total years of kind of on again, off again sobriety about three and a half uh, years ago. Of course, so often the case, uh, it was sort of a it was really a do or die. I was in the hospital and I was like, okay, this time I'm gonna. And previously, I had not had much success in sort of uh, reaching out and being part of uh, being part of any group uh, that just hadn't been something that I'd found had been successful for me. And uh, I had a social worker in the hospital three and a half years ago, and she's like, well, what are you gonna do different this time? And I was like, okay, I, I guess I've gotta, <laughs> I've gotta try to find a group of people and, and try to like find a, a community of like-minded people to kind of help support me through this. It was, uh, I actually found some, I live here in Seattle and I found a couple of actually ad hoc groups um, dedicated to sobriety. They're not part of any sort of national group. And then after a couple of months, I met a representative or someone who was looking to start a life ring meeting. It's the first time I'd ever heard of life ring. And he explained sort of the concepts and precepts and he was getting a meeting going. And I went to it and just really uh, fell in love. I felt like it was a number of like-minded people. 
I liked a lot of things about the philosophy and the approach. And fast forward three years, a couple of months ago, became member of the board of LifeRing. I'm looking towards starting a, we have just one meeting here in Seattle currently. I'm looking at starting a second meeting right now. And I spend a lot of time, uh, LifeRing has a number of email groups. I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with just, you know, the kind of the old distribution group. You write a mail to it, it goes out to everyone, and people kind of reply that way. And I'm pretty active in a couple of those groups. And I'm actually a moderator. We call the, that sort of role a convener in LifeRing. But I'm a moderator for one of the dual diagnosis groups. Is uh, Dual diagnosis and sobriety is a topic that's um, very close to my heart. And so, yeah. And then, uh, that's, so then that's how I came to talk to you here today. Oh, great. So you were struggling with addiction. Can we talk a little bit more about that and what was happening for you? And and you said you ended up in the hospital about three years ago, and that was kind of your moment of like, I got to do something. I got to do something different. Yeah, for sure. So I'm 45 years old. So I, I started drinking. I hear a lot of stories, you know, through through different groups of people who started drinking very, very young. And that, that actually was not me. I did not start drinking really till I, I think it was like a month before my 21st birthday. It was the first time I ever got anything approximating drunk. Uh, and I was about 23 years old when I sort of started drinking. I had a health scare. I had skin cancer that obviously 20 years later turned out fine. But one of the things I realize much later, but just the anxiety from that. I and mean, I think I'm sure that's, you know, I know that's true for many people that just kind of that overwhelming emotion that I couldn't deal with. And it was like, oh, hey, like if I just have a few drinks, that'll go better. That'll, I'll be able to deal with this. And 10 years later, so when I was in my kind of late twenties, early thirties, like my life was pretty close to falling apart. Now I was fortunate enough that I was able to kind of at least during the day keep it together enough that I could sort of hold a job, although that was not going well. So my early 30s, so I guess about 12 years ago, I sort of did my first stint in rehab. And that was my first introduction to sobriety, my first introduction to 12-step programs, although I, of course, been familiar with 12-step from just popular culture, as many of us are. And I did that for, that did not last very long. In 2004, so maybe just a few months, and then I kind of started drinking again. And like I know many of us, you know, kind of thought, eh, I kind of have some stuff figured out now. I'll just, you know, I'll go easy this time. Right, right. right yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, and then in 2004, I, behaving very radically and some friends, put me in a psychiatric institution here in Seattle. And they, that was my first introduction to the concept of dual diagnosis. And that was really, for me, very eye-opening. Now, it took a while. I actually had, within a month, I was there twice for about a week and a half each time. The second time I was there, I was diagnosed as bipolar, was put on lithium, and that was very helpful. One of the things, and it's kind of related to my, it's related to my story later on, is that I, I sort of thought, oh, okay, I'm bipolar. Like, that's why I drank so much. So if I have my bipolar right, under right. control, I, I'm sure I can figure this drinking thing out. Uh, and I was right. over about five years, but then kind of just, you know, again, stress. I, had a, I got married as that, after a few years, that started to disintegrate and the stress of that, I started drinking again. Kind of was in this three-month on, three-month off kind of cycle until finally actually was out of the country. I was in Canada and just sort of started drinking on the plane. You know, there's nothing like free wine on a plane to relax you. And a week later, I kind of, I flew home and a friend picked me up at the airport and they were like, oh, like you're, like you're not going to 
Like you're not going home. And uh, I was in such kind of bad shape just physically. And again, I know many of us have had that experience where like you're drunk or you're high or you're on the chemical, but you're also withdrawing from it. Like you're just in this kind of terrible, terrible shape. So they took me to the hospital and I was there for six days. And I you know, won't lie, it was the most miserable, physical, mental, and uh, kind of pain and, and suffering and anguish I've ever been in. And I just thought, okay, like after all these years, after all these kind of attempts at sobriety, like I know that that's what I need. I just kind of don't know how to, I, I don't know, I, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to, how to approach it. So you were able to kind of really see that, okay, there, there's a lot going on here. And it's nice that your friends were able to kind of intervene on your behalf and and help you. So it was kind of like, all right, something else is going on here. I can start to see it and I got to do something. Right, exactly. And, you know, to be fair, they were my friends, but it it wasn't entirely a friendly, it was very much like, you have to do something. Like, this is not like, my girlfriend was part of that group and she was like, I will drive you there, but I don't know if you'll ever see me again. Wow, that's a pretty dark time. It was, but at the same time, I, I guess I also realized, um, and, and this is, you know, everyone's story is different for how they get there, but one of the realizations that I had was that I had a steady job, I had kind of people in my life who, who cared about me, and it was, there was really just one person who was keeping me from having a good life, and that was me. Okay. And I, so I said, okay, well, I clearly have to do something. However, from my experience 10 years ago, and this is, again, it's nothing, I, 12-step programs work very well for a lot of people. It just never, the AA meetings that I'd attended, there were just a number of things that just didn't so well for me. I, I like I wanted a more conversational format. I wanted more of a support group where I felt like I could ask questions and just a lot of things about that program. I just, they didn't feel, it didn't, it, there wasn't a, a deep simpatico. It didn't really click for me. And so I, so I thought, well, I had heard of rational recovery, which I'm sure many people have heard of. Like that was just something I'd heard about once upon a time, but I hadn't really heard about any other sobriety organizations. I hadn't heard about any other kind of secular or just non-12-step programs. And so I thought, well, I'm a computer professional by day. Like certainly I can do some internet searches. And I found some things, but I I never really found, I, I didn't find kind of that thing that I was looking for, that I felt like I was looking for. I found a couple of possibilities. So there's some smart recovery meetings that are here in Seattle. And I, I found one and attended that. And actually, I just found I'm a non-believer. And there's a, there was a local organization here uh, called Atheists in Seattle or Seattle Atheists right. or something like that. And one of, someone who was part of that, she had put together this atheist in sobriety. Again, there was nothing official about that or whatever. Right. She just happened to be sober and happened to be in this organization. And I thought, well, and it actually was at a convenient time. So I went and that's where I met this guy who was putting together a life ring meeting for the first time. That was the first I'd heard of life ring. And he described it. He brought um, the book, which we, can, um, which we can talk about. There's a few books kind of, but there's sort of one kind of, kind of central text that kind of lays out the life ring philosophy leaf through it. And I was like, oh, this sounds great. So just going back a little bit. So you had tried 12 step and, and it just didn't seem to really work for you. Yeah, it just didn't, I guess it just didn't fit. And I'm happy to kind of go more into that. I know a lot of people like, as a non-believer, I know a lot of people, religious, have issues with the higher power and all that. That actually wasn't so much my, that wasn't my biggest disconnect from AA. I think for me, a lot of it was, was honestly just the format of the meeting seemed kind of stilted 
I think because I was because I'm bipolar and I've been I've done mental health support groups. I was kind of looking for more of that, right? Something where you're really sort of having this conversation back and forth. It's being led as opposed to at least AA meetings that I had attended. It was large. It was a lot more about just someone to has someone shares and then that finishes and then someone else kind of picks that up. And there's not really a thread that kind of um, goes throughout the whole group. And then just a lot of things about the steps themselves. Just personally, not a believer in that sort of teleological, like if you start in one place and then you kind of progress through all these and then you're, you're done. And, and I've talked to many people in AA and I realize that there's never that, you're never sort of done. It's like you're never cured. You're never. Right, right. But I think there was just kind of something about those meetings that I had attended. And I have to be honest, like in my early, like when I, three and a half years ago, I was, got out of the hospital and I was like, okay, like I have to, I'm going to go to a meeting every day. And if I can't find something else, I am lucky enough to have an Alano center that's right near me. I said, then I would go there. And I did go there and I, I met people there and it, it was definitely um, an important part of my sobriety early on. Um, so I'm definitely grateful to AA kind of for that. But I, I just always knew that I'm like, oh, if, if there is kind of something that's a little more, I don't know. And also too, just maybe something a little bit smaller. There are large life ring meetings, but ours here in Seattle is is not. So it's it's a little more you know, you really do over time kind of get to know people, whereas just the AA meetings I'd attended, it was rarely you'd see the same people twice. It was hard to feel like you had a, this ongoing connection. Right. You know, I work in the addiction field and, and I'm a mental health professional. And I've worked with people who have gone to 12-step and really felt that it's beneficial. And for listeners out there, 12-step is like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or Sex Addicts Anonymous. Those are all 12-step-based groups. So I've had a lot of people go to those meetings and sometimes they resonate and they are really, really helpful. And then for others, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it's not the right fit. And that's where sometimes they look for alternative community resources. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think, and that, that's exactly what I was doing. And I was just really sort of thankful. I mean, it was actually just sort of by happenstance. And it's something that being part of LifeRing now and being a, a very active member of LifeRing, both at the local and at the national level, one of the things that I want to kind of make sure is that the is that the next person who's like me, and goes in and and is looking for that 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 person is able to find a life ring because I to be honest I was I was a bit kind of despondent I was very very dedicated to my sobriety at that point so I mean I was I was happy to find other options and find other avenues but you know I sort of wanted my home base as many of us do to kind of have your, your home group. And that was something that I had yet to find. And it was really just, like I said, sort of by pure luck that I happened to meet the person who was putting this meeting together here in Seattle. So what started to appeal to you about LifeRing as we kind of start to talk about what LifeRing is and how it operates and how maybe it's different from 12-step groups? And can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I originally, when I learned about LifeRing, a lot of this stuff I actually did not know. The person who introduced me to LifeRing, he kind of walked through some of these concepts that are sort of central to LifeRing. And I, I'll be honest that at the time, those concepts, those concepts weren't what really sort of excited me or over time, they've really come to feel very natural and, and I've come to feel very kind of at home with them and, and feel like they're very sort of natural extensions and parts of my sobriety. And I think of it as this isn't a LifeRing kind of concept, but I sort of just think of it as kind of three and two. So there's the three S's. So I bring it, you know, uh, I bring it as this concept of the three S's and that is secularity, 
by secularity, the main thing that with LifeRing is it's not that LifeRing is non-religious. There are a lot of people who are not particularly religious in LifeRing, but that you're it's open to people of all religions and and of none, as, as we say. But there is but that your sobriety is not dependent upon, say, something in the, you know, spiritual or something in the otherworldly realm. That your, when we think of just the kind of the base, that term secularity, of just that your sobriety is something that you are bringing, it's something that you are doing, and it's something that you are working at and working through. That that's, a, that's one principle, and I've always really liked that. The other one is sobriety, and it, I think it's really important to, to call out I think there's a large misconception that occasionally does come up about LifeRing and some of the other kind of non-12-step groups, which is that they allow moderation. And that may be true for some other groups, but that's not the case for LifeRing. LifeRing is about abstinence from your drug of choice, and which is exactly the same as 12-step. So, and there are a lot of people in LifeRing, I should be clear, who do both 12-step programs and, and LifeRing. So like do both and and go back and forth. So yeah, some other I think some other support groups are more moderation management. So Life Ring really takes a stand about. I mean, obviously everybody who comes can be who they want to be. It sounds like, but kind of your uh, philosophy is kind of an abstinence based approach. Yeah, Life Ring does not. It is it, yeah. I mean, obviously, but just like in any group, uh, people are gonna individuals are gonna do what they want to do. But but there's no accommodation for for moderation. It, it, our principle in Life Ring is about sobriety and getting someone sober and and staying sober. And the third, which for me I think is has always been very important, is that it's uh, self help. That's the third S, self help. And the concept there is that the group is important, but that ultimately. The person is ultimately responsible, you know, kind of for their own choices and is responsible for for themselves and for bringing to the group things that they need. I mean, I've been in, you know, I've been in therapy and I've been in sort of non-sobriety related uh, support groups and things like that. And I, I always think about it similar to, to therapy that I've done this, you know, where it's like if there's something that you're not telling your therapist about or something that you're not bringing there's no way that you're ever going to be able to work through that with the therapist, right? Like they, you have to be able to do that work and you have to, and I think the real, some of these things like the secularity and self-help, it's getting a little bit to some of that difference between 12-step programs. And even though 12-step program, there is a lot of focus on the group and the power of the group to help you get sober. And I think LifeRange just philosophically believes that, that the group is very important. And I can say that like through the email groups and our local group, there's constantly people sort of saying, oh, I'm so glad that you guys are here. I'm so glad that I can talk about these things. It is ultimately that individual who's going to help themselves with the assistance of the group. The group isn't going to, a group can't do anything for you unless you kind of do that work yourself. So it really puts the power back into your hands and says, look, you're responsible for taking the steps to get yourself better and you've got to put put forth that effort. Right, exactly. And I, I think as maybe some, if not all of your of your listeners know, I mean, that is, it's it's one of the, this concept of powerlessness is this sort of core principle in 12-step programs. And people interpret that in different ways. And like I said, there's people in Life Ring who not just go to AA meetings, but are very actively involved in their AA groups and go through the steps and any of these things, like, like we all do what we need to do for our own sobriety and for our own lives. But for a lot of people who are, who I think one of the things that turns them off of a lot of 12-step groups is there is that right at the beginning, uh, I think it's in the first step. It's been a long time since I've looked at them. Uh, the idea of, 
powerlessness, admitting that you don't have any power over this. Right. And a lot of, I will say, a lot of non 12 step programs, uh, Life Ring among them, sort of seeks to do, and I can actually, it's a great segue have a sort of a different idea that you in fact do have the power right. that this addict within you. So Life Ring at no point ever talks about this as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, although in addiction, I know the Jekyll and Hyde sort of analogy comes up quite frequently, but in the idea, you know, it's like there's the, the good, rational, normal person, and then there's this other person that comes out either as part of using the drug or in wanting to use the drug that is uh, completely sort of diametrically opposed to the values of that other, other self. In Life Ring, there's this concept of the addicted self and the sober self. Right. And usually that's just like A versus S or, you know, S and A. And you can think of this in any number of ways, devil and angel on the shoulder, like whatever metaphor you want to use. But the idea is that these selves, the addict, and I think those like, that even, even in the worst of our addiction, we all have this sober self who is kind of waiting to get out or does kind of pop its head up now and again. And I think that I very much agree with just personally. That really resonated for me because I think any of us who have had gone through these issues, there's always this moment, whether it's the, the hangover the next morning where we just think, oh God, I can't do this. Like, what am I doing with my life? Or we do things that we genuinely regret. And then I think the, the, this idea of then, so the sober self, the idea that kind of life ring has is that the sober self gets weak. And over time, your addict is just stronger and stronger and stronger. The goal in sobriety is not to pretend that your addict self has gone away, but that you were strengthening your sober self and then that this addict self is kind of getting smaller or weaker, whatever, I think, however people want to sort of visualize this. And I think what's important about that is it does get to this idea that that addict self never goes away, that that's always within all of us who have ever had an addict self to begin with. This is where we think about things like cravings or temptations or like work with a lot of people who are sort of new to sobriety. And this is something where it's like, they're like, how will I ever go down? Like, how will I ever go to the grocery store? Right. Because the grocery store is where I used to buy. And I mean, oftentimes our, our collective advice or the, the advice of the other people in the group is, well, go somewhere else. Or if you can order groceries in, I mean, we're here in Seattle. So that's a, that's a common thing that people do because we have services that do that. And then, but eventually your sober self will be strong enough to do that. So at my local grocery store, I spent a couple, maybe a year or two, where I didn't go down the aisle. Like, I went into the grocery store, but I didn't go down the aisle where, like, I never bought, I don't know, like, I never bought beans. Right, Because right. the beans are on one side and the beer is on the other, right? And, right. and now I do, because I, I'm not interested in the beer. But one of the things that this concept helps with is we all have times where that addict self is it's on the lookout, right? Or it's, it's sort of growing or there's other things happening in our lives that are kind of putting things out of balance. Part of that is having that introspection, being able to talk with other people, understand where you are in your own life so that you know like where you're vulnerable. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. So I'd also like to talk with you a little bit about the secularity of it because I think one of the things that I see a lot with clients is that the God part or the higher power part of 12-step, they may be atheists or non-believers or agnostics, and that that really at times can just not feel right for them and, and kind of be a hang-up about getting any kind of support. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I, I always make sure to tell people, like as a non-believer myself, I just always, like when I talk to people, I say that that to me wasn't my biggest concern, but I will say I've talked to many people who are in Life Ring, people who show up at our local Seattle Life Ring meeting. That is, I mean, that very much is one of the things that has driven them to look for another uh, solution. And I know that oftentimes in AA, they talk about, well, that higher power can be anything. It doesn't have to be God. It doesn't have to be. But I think that it sort of relates to what I was kind of just talking about, where I think there's a lot of people who sort of say, no, this is something like this is, I'm the one that has to do this at the end of the day. And they want a framework for thinking about how they are going to be able to sort of uh, help themselves. But yeah, the secularity is an important consideration. So we have a there's a preamble that we do at the beginning of every uh, Life Ring meeting. It's not for those people, those listeners who know 12-step programs, or at least I guess I'm familiar with Narcotics Anonymous and, and AA just in terms of things that I've attended. And then these, I think this kind of core principle is that anyone from any, any religion or none, so at this preamble that we have at the beginning of each Life Ring meeting really just says, that we're open to people of all faiths and none. So there's no, if you are religious, there's, there's absolutely nothing in life ring that is inherently uh, atheistic or inherently agnostic. But at the same time, there's nothing in the life ring philosophy in terms of how we go about achieving sobriety and committing ourselves to sobriety that demands or even suggests that that's something that you need to find, that you need to find some... You know, because I think for a lot of people that the concept of a higher power, even if they're not religious, it still sort of connotes some spirituality of some kind, right? Something. Right, and right. Life ring, you can be as raw a materialist as you like and think, you know, there's nothing outside outside of our existence. It's still right. because we, we really center that work with the individual and that individual's kind of work within the group. Okay, okay. What about if someone was to come to a meeting what would kind of the structure of the meeting be? The, the basic structure that we have for meetings is, and this has been sort of kind of passed down, and there's even, when we talk about resources, I you know, assume later on, there's, so there, there's a book, there's kind of a, it's not a textbook, but I think of it as sort of the, we have workbooks, and, the, and one of the texts is Empowering Your Sober Self, which having talked about the sober self, now can I kind of understand where that title comes right. from. And then we have a book, which is about the running of the, the meetings themselves and the, the title of the book and the title of the way we run our meetings, it's just called, How Is Your Week? So the goal here is to think of the meeting more like I work in an office and I have weekly meetings for things. And it's more like, okay, here we are to check in on status of what's happened in the last week. And is there anything else we need to know? And that's exactly the way that the Life Ring meetings are intended to be structured. Now we do occasionally, like our group in Seattle, there's a group of us that have kind of known each other pretty well. So occasionally it gets a little, we sort of maybe veer a little bit from that meeting, especially if there's something going on with a particular person. Like a person has been like, there's something happening in their life that we kind of hone in on. But the basic structure of the meeting, so if if someone new comes in, we have essentially like, how was that idea of like, how was your week? So it is, it's very much like in that sense where people just go, or if you're at a a table or whatever the, is people just go around and people share. And I know I've certainly been to a number of like larger meetings of other kinds of sobriety groups where maybe some people just go and listen or not. And definitely everyone at LifeRing is sort of called upon. I mean, people can always just say, no, I don't, I don't feel like sharing today or whatever, but we sort of get to everybody. And the idea was, 
what's happened in the last week related to your sobriety and what do you anticipate in the next week related to your sobriety? Now, if someone's coming in for the first time, as you might imagine, what usually happens is that the last week becomes their entire life because what they, they, they sort of, you know, and, and it's important, right? Like you don't want to just- Right, you they know, share you their know. whole story. Right, we don't artificially, I've never been in a meeting where people, someone's been artificially limited to, no, 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 that didn't happen within the last week. It's just more of a, I think it's, it, the goal is really trying to get people kind of out of a, oh, I have to have something profound or I have to have something important or I have to have something. Because I think when you just ask someone, well, like, what, what happened this last week for you? And I think if you have someone who's new to sobriety, a lot of those things are going to kind of be sobriety related. And I think for those people who are further along in sobriety, there may be, there may be particular things that have happened related to sobriety, but it may just sort of be kind of just other stuff, like other stressors in their life or other things. And that's a big, that's a big part of getting any kind of recovery is, is learning to deal with life stress right? and talking about it and getting support and having other people give you feedback because we really can't always see ourselves as clearly as others can. And uh, that's always helpful. Right. And I think that hit upon, I think what for me has always been a really important part of life ring is that What's the term? Oh, crosstalk. So everybody's been in a group, right? Which just means talking. <laughs> right. Um, but sort of talking out of turn. And so this idea of an, an crosstalk in, at LifeRing meetings is encouraged. Obviously, there is, so we have a convener. So there's a convener. And one of the roles of the convener is really to make sure that like, which because, you know, it's, it's a group of people is a group of people. So you can have someone engage in crosstalk and by engaging and by asking a question, what they're really doing is shifting the focus to themselves or talking or sort of, and so the role of the convener is kind of make sure that all that kind of goes well. But I I will say like in my experience with our face-to-face meetings, people are very sort of courteous, but there's a lot of things that come from having that feedback. And again, my experience, I can't speak very broadly for like the, but the, the AA groups that I've attended it's crosstalk or questions or responses to things are, are not encouraged and not really a thing that's, that's done as part of the standard meeting format. And that's something that for me has been very important in life ring meetings because you, you're talking about something that happened that was stressful for you and someone just says, oh, wow, like I, I have that too. And then they, they share something and you thought you were the only person to ever get stressed by that or have issues with that. And having that conversation flow back and forth, like to me, that's really where the value, so much of the value of those meetings uh, comes from. So definitely, so I think one of the main goals about a LifeRing meeting is to get people to come together and share, but also not to feel, like I said, by just focusing on the, the past week, it just sort of takes a lot of the I don't know. To me, that's not very heavy, right? It's just like you can, right. you can just you can just stay very focused on, yeah, like work's been kind of stressful. And then people will say like, oh, how, how are you? Because as we all know, those life stressors, as you say, those are the things that kind of lead us, can lead us down a negative road. So we'll say, oh, how are you dealing with that? And then somebody be like, well, I want to, I'm just making that, like I, I want to actually <laughs> sort of using someone in my group. It's like, well, I want to get out running, but I just sort of don't feel like I've had time. And then sometimes we'll be like, well, could you run at this time? Or could you, could you ask your husband to walk the dog or so you could go do this or whatever? It's really trying to help that person and kind of just give them some support. Because I think a lot of us, we can get so isolated. If you're not around a lot of people who are also sober, you sort of feel like you're the one who has this like weird problem uh, that like nobody else does. And I think it's great to have people who just have your back and can give you suggestions about how to, how to help yourself. 
Yeah, and probably, uh, I imagine, too, understand. Exactly, yeah. I will say, I, sh- I should mention that, like, LifeRing is, LifeRing is intended for people with substance abuse, but just because they're, we, we do occasionally, like at our Seattle meeting, we've had people kind of express interest, um, people with other sorts of disorder, eating disorder, sex addiction, and things like that. And one of the things that I have really found, like when we've, have had those people and talk to them is, I don't know, to me, I, other people's opinions may be different, but I've just always really been surprised at how much similarity and how much that it, it doesn't, some of the behaviors and, and some of the thinking, it doesn't matter what the thing is, what the object of that addiction or of that obsessive thinking is. When you're talking to people about how to get out of that mindset or how to kind of distract yourself or how to develop healthier ways of thinking. It's, it, to my mind, again, I'm not a professional, but it's like, it feels all very much the same. Well, I can, a, I can definitely agree with that from a clinical perspective. They all feel very, very similar kind of across the board and deal with similar similar issues. So yeah, I would definitely agree with that. So I have, I have one more more question. Where can people find more about LifeRing? If, if this is something that they feel kind of might appeal to them, be a right fit for them, where can they get more information? Yeah, so which I and we as LifeRing would absolutely love. So LifeRing, all life, all the information about LifeRing is at LifeRing.org. So that's LifeRing, L-I-F-E-R-I-N-G.org. And that site is going to contain, there's information in there. Like I said, a lot of people, LifeRing has a number of meetings around the country and actually around the world. So if people are listening to this, both from, you know, from the U.S. or internationally, there may be a meeting close to you. However, there are, we don't have thousands and thousands of meetings like other um, sobriety groups, though we'd love to have people, if you're interested, hey, <laughs> come in and start one somewhere, you know, somewhere down the road. But we also do have then email groups and there's the In the Rooms uh, site, which is a support group chat place that's available. Um, we have meetings that take place there. There's Facebook groups. Uh, I actually manage the Twitter account, so you can follow us. Uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm not the most, <laughs> I'm not the most prolific tweeter in the world, but you can get information kind of through there. And all that stuff is at is at LifeRing, LifeRing.org. And you can really look. Like I said, the email groups, which I know I mentioned earlier, that's a place where there's actually many people who are on there who don't either they don't want to, they don't perhaps feel comfortable attending face-to-face groups, or there are none available in their area. But those email groups, I can guarantee, like, they will supply you with kind of communication with other sober people literally around the clock. That's that's great. Well, Jason, I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. I really think that brings another resource for people who are struggling and I'd encourage anybody out there who's struggling and this feels like a, a fit for them or could be helpful to look you guys up because um, I have worked with clients that have, have gone to Life Ring meetings and they've really enjoyed it and felt really connected in those meetings and gotten a lot of help. So um, I would encourage everybody to, to check it out. Thanks. Thanks very much, Dwayne. And thanks, everyone. Thank you. I really enjoyed that episode with Jason. I thought it was great. If you want any information about this episode, just go to theaddictedmind.com forward slash 15 and all the show notes will be there. And once again, if you're enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please go to iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a review. It really does help. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you on our next episode.
Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.